Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, we hear much about the consulting firms as barbarians at the gate, or the big ad agency networks, their global holding company owners, and the clever strategies the consultants have deployed to tap CMOs and their new agendas around technology and business and customer transformation. And yes, even creativity, although those technical, analytical, left-brainer consulting types have been dismissed widely by agency executives in the attempts to embrace creativity and creative services for their end-to-end offerings. Even the former veteran Deloitte Digital exec Andy Main, who switched camps a few years ago to become global CEO of Ogilvy, has said, and I quote, It is much harder to scale creativity than it is to scale technology. I can acquire a lot of technology to accompany an already scaled creative business, close quotes. It was an interesting pushback for a turncoat consulting heavyweight, if you like. So with that as a backdrop, and the fact that only last month those creative ratbags at Campaign Brief named Deloitte Digital as its 2022 Agency of the Year for the work. Ironically, it was two consulting firms which took out the first and third slots. Essentia Songs the Monkeys came in behind WPP's second-placed VLM YNR. But all that aside, we've got Deloitte Digital's lead partner for Australia on the mics today to hear directly why the business is powering. Isan Tabrizi has circa 1,400 people across his operation, and we're about to hear why and what has propelled Deloitte Digital to a premier position in an industry usually the domain of fancied and crazy creative types. Isan, interestingly, cut his teeth at one of Australia's early specialist digital agencies, Hothouse, in the 2000s. But frustrated by the challenges in convincing brands, companies, and marketers to choose partners outside the big consulting firms for customer experience and tech transformation, Isan joined Deloitte Online, as it was known before 2010, and is now leading a ship that appears to be powering in areas it perhaps wasn't meant to. The only area Deloitte Digital doesn't want to play is media buying and planning, and we might get into why a bit later. So welcome, Isan Tabrizi. We've been trying to make this happen for a while. Finally there. How about a quick top line, really, uh, on what Deloitte Digital looks like today? How many people, your portfolio of services, and what the big mission is, really, and what the big mission is you're solving for? And welcome. Good to have you on the mics. Thank you, Paul. It's really exciting to be here speaking to you about the topic that's very dear to my heart. As you mentioned, I started at Deloitte back then when it was called Deloitte Online in 2010, and it's been a phenomenal decade plus of time working within this business, growing this business to getting it to the size and scale that it is today. Our strategy and what Deloitte Digital is really known for right now in the market is everything related to customer. Wherever CMOs, chief digital officers, um, CEOs have got any sort of challenges when it comes to their customers, acquiring new customers, helping them with growth, retaining customers through improved experiences and creating stickiness with their customers, or where brands want to cross-sell and upsell into customers, bring efficiencies into servicing their customers. That's what Deloitte Digital solves at its at a headline level. Where our part agency, part consultancy, part tech SI, um, we've got the... SI being systems integrators. Systems integrators, yep. yeah. We've got the breadth of skills and breadth of offerings that all of those competitors offer in the market. But then we've also got the depth behind it. Um, I've worked in 
digital agency land before, and while we used to claim everything, there was times where it was very thin on the ground in terms right. of depth of capability. Deloitte Digital in Australia and APAC globally is in a very fortunate position that we've got uh, incredible depth behind the breadth of offerings that we take to market. And maybe giving it all away here, the the strategy is really hinges on bringing all of that together to for a integrated end-to-end solution that we offer a client. We try to solve our client's problems end-to-end rather than uh, niche and narrow. Right. We'll dive deep into that because obviously, you know, we t- I referenced earlier the, you know, the creative investment and the top of the pops at the moment, which is, you know, in, in terms of the creative rankings for an industry at an industry level anyway. And it's surprising to see that happen. I guess we've talked about it for a while. Well, it's actually happening and it's an interesting development. But Maybe before we get, you know, into Deloitte agency, part agency, part consulting, part systems integration, and all those things that you're doing, and how you got to that point, why don't we just go back to your early exposure in the Australian market, what you did and what you were trying to do, and how you ended up at Deloitte. You sort of mentioned it with Hothouse, but it's just a, when we were talking earlier, it was a really interesting sort of evolution of where the market has gone and, and what's happened. So just, you know, you landed, you're a, you're a computer engineer, I think, so you're actually really brainy. I'm a, yeah, I'm a software engineer. That too. Yes. <laughs> I did spend a good deal of my career building business applications, but... Um, Old enough to work on DOS, I think we are talking yeah, earlier, right? Uh, uh, well, that gives my age away, but yes. I did used to develop uh, business applications on MS-DOS. I've literally wiped that part of my memory clear, so <laughs> yes, we, don't, right. we don't talk about that anymore. But in early 2000s, the, the web, the rise of the web, and the ability to get to a mass market directly was probably one of the most exciting things that I saw as a software engineer. And one of the things that I saw as a key differentiator in terms of how organizations can directly talk to consumers, how they can go directly and engage with their consumers, and also service them. Something that prior to that would have been through call centers or through specialized software and a lot of complications and hurdles. And that's what got me into the early days of web development, content management systems, reaching both uh, sort of the uh, mass market, anonymized clients, all the way to servicing clients that were known clients and had provided um, credentials through an authentication mechanism. That was the, that's where I cut my teeth in and started working in this space. But then joined Hothouse and uh, worked a few years at Hothouse. I also worked a few years at another agency, Bullseye, uh, both incredible years. I had a lot of fun. We did a lot of awesome work for different clients, different brands in the market. The challenge that I had was that despite the incredible strength of the team that we had, and despite the the both technology chops, but also creative chops that we had built in those agencies, clients still saw us as a digital agency and sort of pigeonholed us in that space, which meant that the scope of the problems that we could solve were limited by that mindset, by that perception. That was the thing that was probably one of the biggest motivators for me to move to Deloitte. And I had friends who had moved into Deloitte and uh, we, we used to speak about the type of work. And it was very fascinating for me from the outside seeing Deloitte at, at that time, arguably more of a consultancy than anything else, but a brand that had capability relationships, industry knowledge, detailed depth of industry knowledge, and a sort of breadth of um, abilities that really doesn't exist outside of the big four, whereby you could tackle a problem and bring the right 
economists to the table, bring the right creatives, technology experts, bring the right consultants and strategists and solve a much more bigger problem for our clients. It was that desire to really go and solve the really wicked, challenging problems and have a brand backing you that you will get a seat at the table with the exec to be able to really discuss those problems, find solutions and deliver outcomes. Mm. That was the main driver for me to join join Deloitte. And then Deloitte Digital was born in 2011 out of a, a few acquisitions globally. Deloitte uh, had done in Australia, there was an acquisition that had been done in, in the early 2000s, a group called the Eclipse Group that then eventually became Deloitte Online and became Deloitte Digital in Australia. That was the genesis of it. But I rarely, while Deloitte Digital is a very well-known brand in the market, the team rarely do what they do alone. We are fully integrated across Deloitte Consulting and the wider Deloitte family. And that's one of the key differentiators. And that's one of the key things that we take to market when we're trying to solve problems for just, our clients. Just, it's interesting when you talk about, you know, the frustrations you had with scope and landing sort of jobs that were, you know, really big important ones that you couldn't do as an indie or as a digital, I'm essentially you're seen as a, a digital comm shop before Deloitte. I imagine that's sort of what you were talking about. There's maybe some web builds yep. on the front end yep. and all that stuff. So that scope that's limiting now, does that still stand today? Do you think, Isan, like in terms of the preparedness for big brands to um, essentially feel safe in and around the big safe consulting marks, brands? The way I would categorize that is that most of the digital agencies, most of the creative agencies that also do some digital web work on the side are still very narrowly focused on specific tech and, well, they will be deep experts in marketing and how to reach consumers, but typically the industry expertise across the board that's really required to solve the bigger problems, the sector expertise, and all the other capabilities that you could bring to solving these bigger problems are lacking. So, in my experience, brands still look at digital agencies, uh, marketing agencies, as effective organizations to solve a very niche problem. But when an exec is after solving a much bigger transformation problem, when large um, government bodies need to reach citizens in a different way, that includes, when you think about the entire funnel of intent, purpose, all the way to purchase or action, and everything that goes along the journey there, including thinking and modeling how to effectively even bankroll a program of that size, that capability typically doesn't exist in your uh, niche digital agency. And that's where Deloitte shines. We, we really do bring that capability end-to-end -end in an integrated way that actually solves the bigger problem, helps shape and solve the bigger problem for our clients. And you're talking there about organizational structure, IT architecture, data for infrastructure and so forth. You're talking about all that before you even get to some sort of customer interaction window, if you like. Yeah, I mean, I would even go a step beyond that and say, in cases you need, especially when you're dealing with large, challenging citizen topics with government, you need economic modeling, you need policy uh, insights and knowledge. With private organizations, you'd need support on tax and how you how do you solve for this massive investment to make it effective for the organization there's so many pieces of that puzzle and and yes an organization can coordinate and buy each of these niche services separately from the market but there is definitely um, value in a one throat to choke model whereby we go we shape 
the answer and we deliver the outcome end to end, including everything that doesn't really feel part of tech and consulting, but is a crucial part of the answer for the bigger problem our client wants to solve. On that notion of where you talk about those big programs, historically and still today, you still hear frustration or criticism of the consulting firms often that they cut and run. So they develop a proposal, a brief, a strategy to solve, but don't deliver. And so therefore, the, between the development of the strategy and the big thinking that goes on and the ability to deliver, there's a big gap. Has that been historically at least a fair criticism of the sector? Not Deloitte Digital, of course, Isan. I'll be very frank with you. Not, not everyone is going to get it 100% right every single time. There's going to be areas where there will be misses. But then equally, there'll be areas where the way the problem is shaped or the expectations of, of the executive at the client and how much they want to do, for example, in-house versus outsourced has an effect on that answer. So it, it's a complicated answer. I don't think the criticism is unfair. There are cases that you can point at where uh, strategy has been done for strategy's sake rather than the outcome, if I can use that term. But then equally, when there's a, the will and desire, and we, we are increasingly seeing this, uh, that the astute execs in all our clients are not after a 100-page um, strategy deck, whether it's corporate strategy or brand strategy, doesn't make a difference. They're not after that. They're after a conversation that starts there, but then ends in results. And we're increasingly seeing, again, astute execs come to the table and have conversations around owning the outcome. And they want us to own the outcome with them, including going as far as putting our fees at risk or putting uh, or tying our success to their success. Mm. And are you prepared to do that? Absolutely. And that's one of the I guess, again, one of the great things about this brand and size of business that we have is that we can go and tackle those problems with our clients, owning outcomes. I mean, the, the, the simple model is that clients might ask us to sign up for velocity of delivery or uptime, and we get paid on outcomes like that. And those are the really simple outcomes. But then the other ex- end of that extreme is when our clients ask us to sign up to, for example, growth targets in acquiring new customers for their brand or NPS ratings around how customers are perceiving and how happy they are with the brand and uplifts on NPS. Like those are very serious targets. And you would never be able to do that as a niche digital agency that's got only control of uh, 5% of the outcome. You have to be part of the bigger uh, and be, be able to see the bigger challenges, including various friction points that might exist in the organization, um, going as far as needing to even relook at op models and to be able to sign up to the outcomes that um, uh, those execs want you to do. And so across all those variables in terms of uh, outcomes and, and hitching your britches, if you like, to what the client's asking on that, have you, good and bad, have you hit somewhere you've, you haven't delivered and, and what have you learned out of that? I would say the Australian market is on early steps on that journey. And so both clients and our team are conservative around these things. So really a lot of thinking and safeguarding to make sure that we do hit the outcomes and the outcomes that the client uh, is, is trying to achieve will, will be attainable. However, when I look across the network globally, there are plenty of lessons learned, plenty of areas where the stretch targets weren't achieved to the extent that the client wanted to. You have to look at it, I mean, if I look at it from purely a business management perspective, you have to look at it as a 
portfolio model where in areas you overachieve, in areas you underachieve, but it still provides the results that you want for the business. If I look at it from a client outcome perspective, as long as you're very clear why those outcomes weren't achieved and it's it's clear both for the sake of the exec and our team that those outcomes were outside of the remit of control, the lack of achievement was outside of the remit of control, it's still a desirable outcome for, for the client and there's learnings on both sides. I want to just get back to the sort of the early emergence of Deloitte Digital, as you say, from Deloitte Online and so forth. Deloitte Digital, in 2011, I think you said it was when it was rebranded, the sort of the MO, if you like, at the time was for Deloitte to fill the gaps of what was not being offered, one, by, by the agency groups, and two, even by marketers who sort of needed to be more tech-savvy, more customer-focused. And, and I think we talked earlier, at that time, there was a big rump of, of marketing teams, even though they, they had the best access and understanding of consumer and customer, they weren't interested or were behind in their understanding of using and adopting technology and systems to help them get there. So talk through that the early strategy and what Deloitte has become or its mission, it felt, was to sort of bring them along that journey. What was the problem back then? What were you seeing? The customer outcomes within the organization, which is typically the remit of a CMO, but customer outcomes within an organization were not being fully serviced end-to-end by the agencies, the marketing houses, or even the consultancies that existed back then. The The genesis for Deloitte Digital or the, or, the, or the core strategy that drove the business the last decade has been solving customer outcomes end-to-end, which does include creativity, advertising, brand marketing, but also includes technology, data. It also includes having um, sort of deep experts in terms of, for example, nudge behavior based on based on deep analytical data to be able to experiment and move co- consumers of a brand, move customers of a brand in the direction that the brand wants to move them. All of that, and again, we see that at all end-to-end. Uh, we see the challenges that a CMO has or typical CMO has in in various organizations with various titles, they can't be solved in isolation. They need to be solved end-to-end. And that was the the core strategy that drove the business since 2011. A decade ago. And if you look at that strategy, Paul, there's multiple ways you could do this. I mean, there's no single right or wrong answer. The, The holding companies approach it through multiple house of brands and having multiple capabilities spread across those house of brands. Some of our competitors approach it in, in, in a slightly different way where there is some degree of integration between those um, businesses. Our strategy, and this is not unique to Deloitte Digital, Deloitte's strategy has fundamentally been one brand, one integrated end-to-end offering really centered around what our clients need the most. And so that approach by really understanding the sector and the client well, understanding what their um, challenges are, And then solving for that has been a key part of our strategy. But back to the CMO conversation, one of the key things that we saw in the market back then, and and maybe to an extent exists today, is that CMOs, and I'm talking in in generals now, it's it's not a specific CMO, but a lot of CMOs had moved too far to the side of brand, creative, advertising. However, as as CMO, as a custodian of the product and the product strategy and how consumers really engage with the product that you're selling or offering them, if you look at the CMO remit as as an end-to-end issue that is all centered around the customer and how we solve for the customer, 
technology and data would have to play a key role in it. And I would argue maybe 10, 12 years ago, CMOs, at least in Australia, felt CMOs were giving up ground on technology and data and just focusing on uh, creativity, advertising, brand marketing, communications, Mm. exactly. Mm. And even the rise of this chief digital officer and chief transformation officer, and, and in some organizations, that still is a key part of the organization. I'm not dismissing it, but my personal theory is that the rise of the chief digital officer role was as a result of that gap that was created where CMOs (laughs) weren't filling the technology gap. It needed someone that had the creativity, the uh, marketing understanding of customer that's inherent in in the CMO, but it also needed someone who understood tech tech stacks, how to effectively use data. And that, that created this sort of rise of CDOs. Now, the agency partners were as guilty as the clients, though, on that, in some ways, right? Because they didn't stitch it together either. That was sort of comms, marketing, brand, but not customer, and all that all that entails yeah, the customer journey. I mean, guilty is a bit of a provocative word. Um, I Sorry, think it was, <laughs> bastard. it was more a sign of the times. I think collectively we hadn't recognized how much customer experience, how much technology and data is going to con- um, affect customer experience. People were talking about it, but it hasn't hadn't translated into actual outcomes where AI can, uh, these days, and, and the great examples of brands like TikTok and, and similar, where AI is really deciding what people see and they don't see based on a deep understanding of what they've seen in the past. It's on the surface, it's a very simple personalization problem, but we all know it's a lot more complicated and the technology has only matured in the last few years. The reality is that the next generation of CMOs, again, in my humble opinion, need to be as on top of and adept at technology and data as they are with brand comms and understanding their customer. There's, there's no two ways about it. There's almost a demarcation there, though, and there's sort of a great divide between the, you know, maybe it's changing now, Isan, but, you know, you've either got your branded communications sort of uh, skills and capabilities on the marketing side, or you've got sort of the digital and digital is it without the understanding of strategy and brand and how that all works. It's sort of, there's two camps, or has been. There has been, definitely. There has been two camps, and two camps that um, not only had their own priorities, I would argue didn't have a common language to speak with each other, and that created further di- divides between the two camps. And And the smart brands were the ones that were able to somehow stitch them together and bring them together as an effective team. Back to the Deloitte digital strategy, that was a key cornerstone of our strategy. We were really focused on making sure end-to-end, including technology data and the depth of technology that a CMO needs, is answered through the offerings that we provide in the Deloitte digital business. And so what happened then? So 2011, Deloitte Digital, you, you've made a series of acquisitions even earlier this year. You, you, I think you bundled three or four into an announcement that sort of, you know, you came out and said you're the largest customer experience practice in the country. And, but, you know, that was this year, back to say maybe 2014, How did that progression take shape? Fascinating thing now is that when you talk about end-to-end, you are end-to-end with, with a creative business. Um, I think you're the cool cats in Deloitte on your floor because you actually have jeans and T-shirts or something like that, uh, Isan. Or am I getting a little bit carried away there? I think we've moved the entire business to jeans and T-shirts. Oh, is that right? Okay, extent. I better come and have yeah. a look. Update. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you're, you're right. Back in um, 2010 when I joined, we weren't the cool cats. We were the weirdos in the corner. Right. But the needle has definitely moved. Um, and while I love wearing jeans and T-shirts on days, it's not about that. It's about really infusing creativity across the business. And 
if I look at the journey over the last decade, our initial, and I'm again generalizing, but our initial acquisitions was very focused on technology and filling in the gaps that we had as a business with regards to technology in digital space. Think MarTech, think CRMs, Salesforce, Adobe, etc. And then uh, circa 2015, 2016, we really started going hard at creative ad space. Not because we were going after advertising or advertisers, we were going after creativity and we could see the value of creativity, not just within the Lloyd Digital business, but across the whole of Deloitte. We've hired a number of notable creatives in Australia, but we haven't hired them because of because we want them to do advertising. We've hired them because they're very capable creatives. And on some days, some of them, they do ads for our clients when, when our clients need them. But I want to stress that's not probably the, the end game for us. The end game is to make sure that creativity infuses all of Deloitte. As a result of that, we can see better collaboration integration. We can see much better answers for our cl- for the sort of wicked problems that our clients have and much better innovation infused across the yeah, entire That business. mindset, even though they may be traditional marketing or advertising creatives, what they bring to the business, the broader business, is is sort of alternative yeah. thinking that, that sort of challenges the status quo. Yeah, and I, I just want to be very clear. It's not about making proposals look pretty Right. And coloring in the boxes, the, the the creative team really lift the approach, the thinking, the the to your point, challenge the status quo of how we tackle really difficult problems with our clients, and and the uh, the remit spans outside of the Lloyd Digital. Having having the creative team work with my fellow partners in Deloitte Access Economics is a very proud moment because we've got highly analytical people Mm -hmm. and highly creative people working together for an outcome such as what we did for the valuation of the Great Barrier Reef a few years ago. It's a great case study of how bringing those two sides together could have a much bigger impact on a And you saw that? You saw the intersection of the the hardcore economists and environmental modelers, I guess? With the creatives. With the creatives. Yeah. What impressed you about what was different about that process, having two different sort of sides come to it? Well, I mean, if you think about it, uh, without the creatives, without the marketers in the mix, that answer for the Great Barrier Foundation and the client would have still been a reasonably successful economic modeling answer. But these guys brought the perception of, well, how do we do this differently so we can better reach the citizens in Australia? How do we do this differently to actually build momentum behind it? They They didn't necessarily change the details of the economic modeling, but they did change the approach both in the client's eyes in terms of how we are going to engage their organization, but also how they're going to engage their stakeholders, including eventually the citizens in Australia, that they needed to build momentum behind. It's a different proposition. It's a vastly different proposition. And so these guys, bringing these guys into the business and growing that business, we've now scaled to three studios across. Melbourne was the initial studio, but then we've we have a Sydney studio, we have an Auckland studio, and there are plans to grow this across the region. Very traditional Deloitte partners are now looking at this across the region and going, wow, we can see this difference. We can see the impact that it has, even measured at, at pure business sales and win rate, these guys make a material difference when they are part of a big pitch that we're trying to solve problems in a different way for our clients. I take your point on on your example with the Great Barrier Reef. How are the sort of the economists 
and the auditors are responding to these creative crazies that are trying to bring different thinking. Is it how's it landing in the main? Uh, well, it's a journey, and yeah. um, that journey I don't think is finished. Um, there was a lot of internal campaigning the team did initially when they joined us, which I think was very effective. And as you would understand, there are people who... When you say the team, who are we talking about here? So this is initially when we had um, Matt Lawson, Adrian Mills, um, David Phillips join us, I'm going to say 2016, around that time. Initially, there was a, quite a lot of campaigning. So the business actually started to, started to understand that this is not just about coloring in the boxes. This is actually going to have business value and business impact if we if we bring these guys at the right time early in a process to help change the way we think about shaping an answer for, for a client. And I say it's a journey because business of our size, are making sure all partners, all new partners, everyone who's trying to solve these type of problems can reach out to these guys and use them effectively is a constant learning exercise. It's a constant, you, could, you should look at it as a constant campaign within the business. But there are, a lot more hero stories now of this being successful. Probably the best one, the best example is what you mentioned at the top of the hour around campaign brief. And the reason Deloitte Digital is now ranked first, if you look at that list of case studies that they were reviewing, a good portion of those are non-advertising, non-marketing case studies. There's plenty in there that is about how we're solving bigger problems for our clients, but creativity as part of that, creativity infused in that has really shaped or differentiated the way we've approached that problem. And that's what really makes me proud because it's not just because we're doing a few ads on the side. Again, these guys do some brilliant ads, but it's not just that. It's about the fact that we've got a world-class creative team really changing the way we solve problems. And it's interesting, you, beyond your original creative partners, you've taken on Nick Garrett, I think, was it last year, um, who's come in as a creative partner? Yep. Uh, Ex-Clemager you know, BBDO when it was at its, in its prime, and you know, there's some really good examples there. So yeah, you're still investing in that. So we're going to talk about creativity in, in customer experience, because I think you know, there's some interesting themes there. But before we get to that, you talk about technology. If, as an observer from the outside, and I'm perpetually on the outside of all this, I've seen this transition from where the central, a central tenant inside marketing, you know, 10 years ago, at least, and even maybe five years ago was media was core to, to all this and big media relationships and big audiences and impact. Technology is almost usurping or, you know, is equal with the, what media used to be, used to dominate the conversation around marketing. Technology is now uh, part of that. Media uh, in, at its peak was all about media neutrality and making sure that, you know, whatever media channels you use, it was going to work for the brief at hand. Can we get to tech neutrality? Because there's a lot of vendors out there. There's a lot of players with different stacks. You're across some of them, maybe not all of them, and you're, everyone's got their own mini stack, if you like. How do we get to tech neutrality? How can you recommend something? You've got to have an alliance. You've got alignments, and you've got, let's call them partnerships, whatever that involves. And there's, I think the, the money might go two ways, but you can correct me on that. But how do you get to tech neutrality, and how do you recommend to a client that if you're in a customer transformation or a business transformation process, Actually, you need to use, whether it be Salesforce, Adobe, whether it be IBM, whether it be Oracle, Microsoft, ServiceNow, et cetera, et cetera, all those big plays. How do you get independence when you can't surely be a Deloitte Digital can't be across all of those? Or are you? There's two sides to that answer. One side is in some of those technologies, we are deep experts in implementing and rolling them out. And we pick and choose. We can't go after all of them. We just, 
it would be remiss of me to sit here and say we are an expert in implementing every single CRM that exists out there. We're not. We pick our battles. We pick the ones that we are backing, if I can call it that, and we go hard after it. And there's a lot of research done globally by the, the team that really points at which ones we should go after um, if, if we haven't already. So there's that's the implementation side of it. But on the consulting side, we have got people who actually have got a really good deep understanding, the same way that, for example, uh, Forrester and Gartner as sort of market-leading industry analysts have an understanding of these technology. We have folks in, a, in our practice who really understand the breadth of the landscape, what's out there, what's emerging, how are they tracking, how are they best fit to solve certain problems or not. And so typically there are two different questions you need to answer. The one question is, what technology should I use? And the other one is, how do I implement it and get the most value out of the technology? I want to be very clear, those are two separate teams with two different depth of expertise. And so you do have to apply that. And the right ethical walls exist within our organization to make sure that even if, if the same client asks us to do both things, one doesn't color the other one. We provide the right answer for our client, irrespective of the depth of technology that we have. But I want to take this answer to another place. I mean, you started out by asking the question of, this complex tech landscape, irrespective of what Deloitte Digital has or doesn't have. I think the the bigger challenge are for the CMOs, CIOs within our clients, where they have to pick the right tech stack to uh, bet on for a number of years. The investments are significant. The investments are not something they can do and throw away in six months' time. They've probably got their organization now locked into a, a technology stack for a good period of time. I think that's where the real trick is in both making sure a, a prospective CMO or CIO doesn't get caught up in the religious wars of is blue better than red in here and, and should I be all blue or should I be all red? It, right. it's, it really needs to be about the ecosystem of technology that is going to answer the, the problems and challenges that that particular organization is facing. And in my humble experience, it's rarely entirely blue stack versus red stack. It's usually a mix and match. There's a lot of emerging niche players. There's a lot of emerging startups that do some areas very, very well, maybe even better than the large tech providers, and you want to be able to mix best and match breed, them. The best of breed argument, yeah, right? Exactly. That's one part of it. And then the second part of it is that the successful long-term tech stacks are the ones that are Design. This is taking me back to my software engineering roots. They're the ones that are architected and designed that provide a level of decoupling that allows you to then change over time. Right. The ones that are, shall I say, rushed, the ones that are really decisions are made based on the tech religion wars, those are the ones that you get so hardwired into that technology that then changes and evolution over time becomes more difficult. So that's that. those are the two big challenges in front of typical CMO, CIOs, folks that are making these decisions. One is, what is the ecosystem play that's right for me now and into the foreseeable future? No one's going to be able to predict 10 years, but based on what I know. And then secondly, how do I architect this solution? How do I bring the right components together in a way that I can then evolve it over time with minimal cost? We have seen a lot of tech vendors sell a dream. I've seen the dream, and, and if I could do it, I would. I don't need to quite at the scale you're talking about. But at the same time, we see this fallout. We see this frustration that I hear in the market a lot now about what 
the customer experience, customer journey, all the things that go into those stacks, what they technically or theoretically can deliver, but the ability for organizations to actually do that and implement it and have, have the resource on the ground. There is a bit of sort of um, been some learnings on that. Basically, in some cases, a few years back, I had some clients saying, you know, almost snake oil salesmen to the tech vendors because they were promised to what could be and what was, um, what was possible when they were, uh, these systems were implemented. What's your sense on that? Is that changing now? It was real? Is it still real? Or what's happening now in terms of your gauge on that? I think there's no escaping the reality that when you get caught in the fever of closing a big deal, um, as, a, as an account exec, you want to throw everything at it. I've seen that in operation. And that sometimes does create the sentiment that you conveyed, Paul, which is, uh, well, let's just say it's not a place that we want the industry to be at. I would say that I, I, a lot of my friends, a lot of my colleagues, ex-folks who were at Deloitte Digital, they are now working in this industry and working at the tech vendors, helping solve client challenges. And I would say most of them really do value the long-term success and the, value, the relationship with, with their clients more than the sale today. And I think that's incredibly positive and we need to um, acknowledge that. So I, I want to be very clear, while there are some horror stories, it's not all, everyone is not out there to, to uh, just try and maximize a quarter's sales. Uh, most folks that I know, most sensible folks that I know who are in this industry for the long haul are after the long-term relationship and really truly solving client problems. But then there's another side to this and it's the reality that these problems that the technology is trying to solve, the technology is the almost the easy part of the solution. The technology is mature enough when it's sold typically that you could say, tick, I've got the right technology to solve this. However, these problems are well beyond just the technology. It's about the change management within the organization. It's about having the right data available. That data problem itself is still a, a, a massive problem in a lot of our clients. Data at the right degree of accuracy, cleanliness that then the technology can be built on. It's about the uh, customer experience that needs to be built on top of the technology that, to then maximize the engagement with the customer. A lot of times when I, uh, I typically um, speak with CMOs and CAOs and say, they say, Asan, we have bought all the shiny toys possible. We've got everything here but we're not getting value out of it. And when you dig under the hood of that, it's not necessarily that the tech is failing them, it's that the maturity within the organization to maximize the tech, to really deliver the customer experience required for the customer, that's where it, it has fallen fallen over. And yes, maybe at the point of sales, the, the, the account exec has sold them the dream of the technology uh, without necessarily really talking about how how tough of a journey they've got ahead of them to really lift the maturity within the organization. Yeah, that's yes, that's part of the conversation. So, Zisan, let's get back to that intriguing thing with Deloitte Digital and consulting firms around creativity and customer experience and that whole process for the, for CX. The grandly polarizing CMO at IAG has turned to Telstra, who's just moved to Telstra, Brent Smart, talked a couple of years ago about, they made a really interesting point around this, which is that a lot of customer experience journeys and MarTech is vanilla. It's sort of a standard, um, there's not a lot of differentiation in the experience that it, the, the flow's correct. It might be an efficient flow to move the, the customer through a journey they need they need met, but there's not a lot of differentiation in there and it's sort of, sort of fairly bland. Can you get creativity in customer experience or is that just sort of a, a nice notion for a journo to um, hook his, hook his, his next question on? 
I think creativity is part of the answer. But I think if I can take a step back, I think the broader challenge is that we've, the last uh, few years, the focus on data and marketing and personalization has just been around how do I upsell, how do I use your data to sell you more stuff? Right. Right. And under the guise of customer experience. Under perhaps. the guise of customer experience. Yeah. Right. And and there's I mean, obviously there's the, the very obvious problem with that, but the broader challenge is that when you look at it with that lens, then you would not really be focusing on customer experience. You're just focusing on which of these boxes do you fall into so that the next best action is probably this thing that I put in front of you and it and it closes the next deal. What needs to change, and creativity I think could do a big uh, thing for us in this change, is that the mindset needs to change to how do I use your data, how do I use what I've gathered from you to better service you, to enhance the customer experience as you've uh, called it, but realistically think about how do I better service what your needs are, how do I meet you where you really have have a requirement and that's the real magic in personalization that's the real magic in taking people's data and turning it around something that's really useful adding value to them and once you do that the sale or the um, the action that you want to achieve will get there we are actually interesting enough having more of these conversations with our public sector clients than anywhere else it's, it's right. fascinating to see how much government is really leaning in on this and going because in their mind this is not about upsell in government's mind this is about better servicing citizens better experience right better yeah. experience so yeah. that that conversation is really coming to the forefront there and i think a lot of brands have got a lot to learn from from government from government now mm. it's it's actually flipping a bit isn't that interesting and and you're right because i hear it even unprompted in the sort of the circles i swing around is Exactly that, sort of what New South Wales has done, what Victoria's doing, some of the, you know, there's some stuff happening there from government that is sort of benchmark work. Paul, if I add one more thing to that, this notion that you can design the perfect customer experience in a vacuum, at best use some focus groups to test some designs, I think is flawed as well and is part of the problem that we've historically had. Right. If you look at big digital brands, if you look at, uh, uh, let me let me stretch it and th- say places like Google, for example, they constantly experiment on improving the experience. And they always experimented on a subset of their users. They roll it out, even down to the minutia of what font and what color and the impacts of that is constantly tested and experimented on. Well, you've acquired a business in that area, haven't That's you? That's the approach. Right. Of, exactly. One of the reasons we did, one of the three businesses that we acquired this year, one of them were specialists in this space and exactly for that reason because increasingly we've seen clients be a lot more astute around let's not spend millions of dollars designing this in a back room and with focus groups. Let's get something out, test it and refine it and refine it and that's where that's where the magic of customer experience is going to really come to the forefront. Can I get your big picture view on, you know, you've got personalization, you've got customer experience, You've got the, the other side, the other forces of brand, investing in brand and communications. At one stage, we heard the technology camp say that, you know, the end of mass was was nine. You didn't need it. It was all about personalization. It was all about CX and you don't need anything else. What we're discovering, of course, is that in customer acquisition, you still need to be in, in places to remind people that you're there. So some of those earlier predictions of the end haven't have proven incorrect and wayward at this stage. So how do you piece all that together in your worldview and what, how you're structured of, of all those different, you know, we talked about the two opposing camps at one stage. 
I assume you're trying to bring them together internally. What do you make of the whole mix? How, how does this all, you know, spill out onto the onto the streets? I'm going to go back to the point I made around CMOs um, earlier. I, we strongly believe that the next generation of incredibly successful CMOs are going to be very tech savvy and really get the space well. And one of the things that we've been focusing on, both both internally within our team, but with our clients, is really filling that gap. Not expecting every CMO to be a software engineer, but having the right team around them and having making sure that they can solve these problems holistically is really what what is going to move the dial for those for those brands. What we're seeing increasingly, and, and this is not new for marketers, but instead of looking as brand as the colors and fonts, brand as a strategy, brand as a business strategy, to your point earlier, to bring it all together f- to make sure that from very early days of intent all the way to action and purchase, that entire funnel is followed following the same brand strategy. Data is in service of that brand strategy and helping helping the brand guide the consumer through that process and delivering value at every step. Like this is not about just getting a purchase done or closing closing a deal. It's about delivering value at every step to the consumer that's going on that brand journey with us. That's what we're really focused on. And that that does need to bring together the entire breadth of what the Deloitte digital business that we've built today. And in many cases, more of Deloitte to actually solve for those problems. It's a fascinating space. It is. It is. It's it really something is. that really gets me out of bed every morning. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can see why. And so what does Deloitte, what does Next look like for Deloitte Digital? And what does Next look like for Deloitte Digital's competitive set? And how do you think that that whole, that broader landscape plays out? And, and of course, I've got to ask you, what do you make of the whole codes and agencies? What's their future? Let me start with that last question. Um, while I strongly believe in our strategy, and I feel that our strategy is paying off as demonstrated through awards and recognition, but also the, the, the size and scale of the business and how it's growing, I don't necessarily feel the strategy of my competitors are wrong, that each strategy fits their model and their business requirements. However, I'm increasingly seeing clients coming to us wanting to do bigger things, but because of the risk inherent in those bigger things, they want us to be part of that journey with them. They want us to really own an outcome end-to-end, and that's where... From the modeling, the economic modeling, business case modeling through. So they don't want someone to tell them this is a strategy or this is the, the economic modeling and then walk away. They want someone that starts there and goes all the way to actually delivering that outcome to them and shares in the rewards and pain throughout that journey with them. And to be frank with you, that's the thing that really actually gets purpose-driven brands in the market that really want to change a sector, change the way people deal with a particular issue or, or, or even how a particular product is um, consumed in the market. That sort of end-to-end change is what gets the entire team out of bed. That's what gets people excited at the Low Digital. And I, I see a, a big future there in terms of continuing on this journey of not just integrated offering, but also deep sector knowledge, whereby my marketing experts are not just marketing experts, they're marketing experts in power and utilities helping solve particular problems for the water sector. I'm just picking a random example. That gets us a lot more excited, and I think there's a lot more opportunity in that space. Equally, I personally believe that we've just scratched the surface of how tech, data, and AI is going to change the space. Right. And 
if I were a betting man, I would put all my chips on on that space because over the next decade or so, it's going to look fundamentally different to what it did yeah, um, in the last decade. Key watchouts for the market in the next 12 months, and we talked earlier, um, what's your sense on what's going to, what happens you know, next year? I think the feeling is, you know, as we get into into Christmas, things will hold up a little bit, but New Year, there might be some some reality bites, if you like. Um, it's nuanced, but um, what do you think is going to happen to marketing, brand, consumer, spending? I mean, it's, it is no doubt it's a very turbulent market, but the reality is when has it ever been a calm right. market? It's always been turbulent for some reason or other. My view on next year is that marketing and reaching consumers, uh, and I include in that bucket when government is trying to reach citizens through digital and similar channels, that as a whole category next year is going to grow. There's no doubt in my mind that all the signs are there. The demand is there. And to my point earlier, we've only scratched the surface of how we can reach and use technology data to really effectively reach consumers and citizens. However, there is going to be a who moved my cheese moment for a lot of businesses because where they've historically focused to help their clients with marketing challenges, that might not be the case. And people who are veterans in this industry would have seen this multiple times, but probably next year more than ever, they will see you'll see a lot of change and a lot of movement around where some brands will underinvest, some brands will overinvest. I mean, the, we spoke about this earlier, the anecdotal, oh, actually, it's data-driven concept that in tough times, the smart, astute marketers spend the most because that's when you build loyalty and you uh, attract more customers to your brand. That always holds true. The challenge is going to really be who's going to be courageous enough to make those investments in turbulent times next year, which is definitely going to be very turbulent. And what the balance sheet looks like to facilitate it, which exactly. is probably the, the core point there, right? Yeah, yeah. And and making sure that within the organization, all the way up to the board, people understand that this is not a optional investment. This is really critical for the long-term health and sustainability of that business. Mm. Great points, great conversation. Um, Quite insightful, and I think there's a second part to this one, uh, Isan. I look forward to trying to wrangle you back into the studio to, to um, converse on that. Thanks for joining. Stay safe and, and look forward to what happens in the next 12 months. Paul, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it and looking forward to the next one. Thank you. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.